I'm in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21. Jesus says this, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word for us. Friends, the good news is that in Christ we have been reconciled to God, and we are now ambassadors of reconciliation to those around us. It's good news for us. It's how we are to live in light of the grace of the gospel. It probably will not be hard for you to think of maybe an instance where you have experienced some sort of broken relationship, maybe a relationship that was never able to be healed. Maybe for some of you, you have a broken relationship with your parents or your children. Maybe for some of you, you have a broken relationship with a former employer or an employee. Maybe for some of you, you have a broken relationship with a sibling or a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's someone who is a Christian. Maybe it's someone who is not a Christian. It's not hard for us to think about that. We can look at it on a larger scale and see what broken relationships look around around us, uh, look like around us with uh, uh, cultures and ethnicities and politics and religions, but we can actually personalize it and probably do not have to look or think very hard, uh, look far or think very hard for something to be brought to mind. I know in my life I've experienced broken relationships that still to this day grieve me. And I'm talking more than uh, just disagreeing on something small, but actually having a relationship totally severed. Now, Jesus teaches us here because it's something counter countercultural for us. Because in our day and age, it's really easy to say, well, we can just agree to disagree, or we can just disagree to disagree. And it's okay to hold a grudge. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to, you know, live and let live and go our separate ways. But that's not actually fueled by the gospel at all. It's actually not at all fueled by the gospel. See, Jesus here in the scriptures today we're looking at teaches something totally contrary to that. In fact, Jesus is not only teaching how things should be, but how things will be in his kingdom. Jesus is not only telling us what we ought to do, but rather what he is doing and making possible. See, if we look at this passage today and say, all right, Jesus says, you know, you be reconciled to people, we can maybe very quickly write a to-do list of five steps to do good things to make people feel better about themselves, or five steps to try to bring healing to a relationship. But if we try to look at this as some prescriptive thing to do apart from Christ, we miss the point of the grace of the gospel. So as we read this today and say, okay, wait, you know, Jesus says, don't be angry, be, recon be reconciled to your brother. Let me go do that really quickly. If we do that without seeing the bigger picture of, of Christ's kingdom, we miss the gospel, we miss Jesus, and we become religious, prideful people that Jesus preaches against in the verses just prior to this one. So what I want us to do is really 
posture our hearts to see not only what we are to do, but first rather who Jesus is and what he's done and how he is bringing reconciliation and redemption to a broken world. And so when Jesus is teaching in this passage, the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels show that Jesus not only teaches this, but actually displays it. He demonstrates that he is bringing reconciliation. That's why Jesus stoops to the marginalized of the day, the ethnically marginalized, the socioeconomic marginalized, the religious marginalized, the... uh, different people who were on the outskirts of acceptance in the community. And he went down and with his grace brought healing, fed the hungry, even brought dead people back to life to show, to demonstrate what he is teaching here, that God is a God of reconciliation and his people are to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So today I want us to look at a couple different things about brokenness and reconciliation. And the first is this. Anger reveals brokenness of heart and a brokenness of relationship with others and with God. That's the first thing. Anger reveals brokenness of heart and brokenness in relationship with others and with God. We see here in the first set of verses that we're looking at today, it says, You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now I want to pause for a second because I want to clarify something. Anger is not a sin. But in anger, we can sin. Anger is not a sin in and of itself, but in anger, our heart attitudes can be revealed and show sinfulness and brokenness. You see, there's a place for righteous anger. If you are angry about the things that God is angry about, that's a righteous thing. In fact, you should be angry about injustice in the world. You should be angry about oppression in the world. You should be angry about corruption. These were the things that Jesus was angry about in his day, and that is not sinful. However, in that anger, you can sin, And in that anger, brokenness can be revealed because you see in righteous anger against injustice and oppression and corruption, there's also mercy, grace, love, and action. So righteous anger is okay. But in this passage, Jesus is talking about contemptuous anger. He's talking about anger that not, is not fueled by the grace of the gospel, but rather is fueled by pride and self-righteousness. You see, we have to look at these verses in light of the verses that come just before, that if you were here last week, Ben preached on this, about Jesus saying that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them, and saying that you know righteousness is at a very high standard, and he was preaching to an audience that was seeing righteousness uh, be done in a corrupt fashion apart from the grace of God and the gospel. You see, in Jesus' day, there were people saying, if you want to be righteous, do X, Y, and Z. If you want to be righteous, don't do X, Y, and Z. If you want to be righteous, do these external things, while at the same time, they were ignoring the internal struggle. So Jesus steps into that context and says, hey, we're not just talking about what you don't do and what you do do that makes you righteous. We're, We're going to take it to the issue of the heart. And so Jesus says, look, You can seem to be a righteous person if you don't murder, 
But if in your heart you have contemptuous anger towards somebody, that's just as bad as murder. In fact, that is making you liable of the fire, the, the hell of fire. You see, contemptuous anger displays personal brokenness. It reveals personal pride. It reveals personal sin. Think about what goes on within you when you are angry with somebody. I mean, maybe they've done something foolish. Maybe they've done something wrong. But, but if in your heart you have contemptuous anger toward a person, that really says more about your character than it does that person. Am I right? If within your heart you have contemptuous anger, you just can't stand somebody. That's your heart issue, not that person's heart issue. You with me? Jesus says contemptuous anger makes you liable to judgment. He goes on to say this, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You fool. This is a word that in translation, uh, maybe you think, you fool, that doesn't seem like that bad of a word. Let me unpack it for you. It comes from a word that, that Jesus was using speaking in, in Aramaic, it is the word raka, which has such a contemptuous connotation. Raka, fool, demotes, person, demotes, demotes a person to the level of worthlessness. It's more than just saying you're silly or you're dumb. It's saying you are an utter non-human. You are subhuman. You are so worth nothing. Now, there are more than words if somebody says that you are totally worthless, that you are totally non-human, subhuman. You know what that says about the person who makes that claim? A person who would say such a thing is putting themselves on the level of God. You see, men and women are made in the image of God. You look in Genesis, God created man and women in his image. They are image bearers. And even, we are, even when we are sinful and broken, we are still image bearers, even though the image bearing may be corrupt. It's like a, a mirror that has a little bit of dirt on it. We're still image bearers reflecting the image of God, even though it's maybe cracked or dirty. And so for you or I to stand above someone and say, I am a good person. I am like God. You are not like God. You are worthless. You are subhuman. You are not even a person. That is what Jesus is talking about here. You see, in the verses before, he's saying, look, if you think you're, you're a righteous person, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were the ones who were, who were trying to follow the law of God and say, we are living to God's standards. You are not. We are living to God's standards because we do these things, but you don't. We're living to God's standards because we don't do those things, but you do them. And Jesus goes on and says, hey, look, you may not be murdering people, but in your heart you have contempt towards somebody because you think you are all that honoring Jesus and that they're worthless and non-personable and un-inhuman. Jesus says that kind of attitude makes you liable to the hell of fire. See, I want us to pause for a moment because when we, we're in a very over-churched culture, it's not bad, but it can be bad. 
If you think to be right with God and right with others means that you do certain things a certain way and you look down on those who don't, you need to check your heart. It grieves me uh, this week, uh, very saddened by a colleague of mine. Don't know him super well, but he's a colleague um, in a different state, has uh, stepped out of his pastoral position. And it grieves me when that happens, when I see brokenness and hardship. But the thing that grieves me even more than watching this brother in Christ step out of his position is the slew of self-righteous blogs and articles that come out afterwards. Well, this is a warning to blah, blah, blah. Can't even read them. It breaks my heart when I look at this passage and say, okay, am I more righteous than him because my struggles are different? I mean, he failed in one area, but I'm no more righteous because I didn't fall in that area, right? See, I want us to assess our hearts and be very careful to see what the Lord is saying to us through his word in light of what he just said a few verses earlier of warning against what we, how we define righteousness. If we define, do you define righteousness by what you do? And what you don't do, and therefore you look down on somebody else who doesn't do it the same way, and you think, well, I'm, I'm better. That means that you have the risk of a hard attitude of calling that person a fool, or being angry toward them, or looking down on them because they are subhuman or sub-righteous by your standards. We must be very, very careful, my friends. Because that kind of attitude, that kind of anger, that contemptuousness reveals the brokenness of our hearts first and foremost. It doesn't reveal the brokenness of somebody else's heart. It reveals the brokenness of your heart, my heart, right? It reveals the brokenness with relationships with others and a relationship with God. In fact, we see that it affects our worship. So let's pause for a moment. And I want to ask you to assess your heart right now. What is the condition of your heart? Do you have a self-righteous heart because of what you do or refrain from doing? In your heart, is there a contemptuous anger brewing against an individual? A family member, a co-worker, somebody who's a Christian who wronged you? Maybe somebody who's not a Christian and still wronged you? Is there a contemptuous attitude toward a whole people group? Right? We're in the South. There's that. Do you have an attitude of contemptuousness against the whole socioeconomic population? Do you have a contemptuous attitude against a whole uh, demographic of people or a whole geography in this town or in the state or in the world? Is there a part of the world that you just think, what, that place should not exist? I mean, you, you might. Assess your heart, because this is a teaching that Jesus is, is directing to the hearts of the hearers. And so I want us to be, to be very real and ask the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and say, where, where in my heart, Lord, do I feel righteous? Where in my heart, Lord, though I may not do wrong things, where is in my heart that I have a contemptuous attitude toward an individual or a family or a community or a group of people? Lord, reveal that attitude in my heart, God, please. Because I want us to see the good news that is in here. Because, because the hearers were hearing this, right? I mean, G, the audience that Jesus is teaching uh, 
here and, and for 2,000 years, this scripture has been taught and retaught and reread and, and can apply to any person at any time, in any place, in any culture. In Jesus' day, there were, there were Jews that didn't like the, Samar- the Samaritans, and there were uh, people in Jesus' days where the rich didn't like the poor, and then the people didn't like the Romans, and then the religious elite didn't like the marginalized elite, and that, you know, well, what is it for you and I today? I'm just asking that God would reveal, because I have people in my mind and in my heart right now that I know God is doing what God does with those he loves, shaking us up a little bit, stirring us up. But I want us to see the good news here. Because whereas contemptuous anger reveals brokenness of heart and broken relationship with others and with God, the gospel reconciles our hearts to God and to others. The gospel reconciles our hearts to God and with others. And this is what is such good news to us. So so look what Jesus says in verse 23. So if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, this is amazing to me. Because we, we often flip-flop this and say, well, as long as I'm right with God, things can be broken with that person over there. I don't have to make things right with that person because I'm just going to go worship God. I mean, right now we have people probably in this room, probably in other congregations throughout this city who have contemptuous heart attitudes toward individuals and families and races and <laughs> geographies and demographics who are, who are worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning. And then tomorrow morning we'll be have nothing to do with a coworker who rubs you the wrong way or who said something to you that hurt your feelings or whatever it may be. But what does Jesus say? He says, hey, before you give your gift to the altar, go immediately. Don't even come worship. In fact, it's, it's my hope as a pastor that, you know, the 50 empty seats in here are 50 people who are going to reconcile with their brothers and sisters before they come to church. Right? That's every pastor's dream. Well, it's low attendance Sunday because our people are so obedient. Oh, sweet. Jesus prioritizes here. He says, if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there, remember, there's so so much that's great about it. First of all, anytime you come to worship, that is a place where God will reveal something to you. We can just take that away right there. So don't avoid worshiping the Lord. Come to worship the Lord, and if you are coming to worship the Lord and God reveals something to you that you have something in your heart against somebody else, or in this case, some, you come to mind something that uh, somebody comes to mind that has something against you, leave your gift and before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. You see, I love what this says here. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, a couple chapters later, Jesus says, hey, if you have something against somebody, go be reconciled. But in this passage, what does he say? He says, if somebody has something against you. You see that? Well, you could be like, dude, I'm good. I don't have anything against anybody. Well, that's great. I hope you don't have anything against anybody. I hope there is no contemptuous anger in your heart right now. But if you know somebody has something against you, even if you're not contemptuously angry at them, If you know right now that somebody has something against you, what does Jesus say to do? Go be reconciled. 
Isn't that remarkable? I mean, doesn't it seem like, you know, well, if, if I have no issue with anybody, I'm just going to live and let live, right? But if it says somebody has an issue with you, you need to go reconcile with them. Why do you think Jesus would do that? Well, I mean, like I said later, he says, if you have something with somebody else, go be reconciled. So basically, any way you shake it, you don't get out of jail free card. You, we, as redeemed recipients of reconciliation, have to go be reconciled with people. If we have something against them or they have something against us, it doesn't matter. Isn't that cool? None of us are getting off scot-free. See, it doesn't honor God to have pretentious worship. You see, he's speaking to an audience that was seeing the scribes and the Pharisees do pretentious worship, saying, God, here is our offering, here is our gift. We don't murder, but we hate those Samaritans. God, here is our offering, here is our gift, but man, those Romans are terrible. And Jesus is saying, look, you, you can't come and worship God with pretension and still hate somebody and have anger and looking down on them, thinking that they are subhuman, inhuman, out, outside the reach of God's grace. That's really what it means. To call somebody raka, you fool, means that person is outside the realm of God's rescue. And Jesus says, look, if you were offering your gift, if you were coming to worship God and you know somebody has something against you, go be reconciled. Don't do this pretentious worship, but rather let God chop up your heart, chop up their heart, and come to Christ together. So here's what, here's what I want us to see. In Romans 5.11, the Apostle Paul says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. That means to come back together. That means that brokenness has been healed. The Apostle Paul says that as Christians, we have received. It's something that's been a gift. We have been given reconciliation. Reconciliation is not something you make happen because you're righteous. Man, I've seen some self-righteous reconciliation attempts that just perpetuates the brokenness. Well, because I'm righteous, I am going to bring my gracious reconciliation to you, brother. That's pretentious worship. That is anti-gospel. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.11, we have received reconciliation. It is a gift from God. It is a gift. I just love the imagery here. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, you're coming to worship to give your gift to the, to the altar, and then God says, no, just something somebody has against you. Here, I'm going to give you a gift. You're bringing me your gift to worship. I'm going to give you the gift of reconciliation, and now you take that gift of reconciliation, and you go be reconciled to your brother. Isn't that exciting? Does that excite you? It excites me because there's no weight on you to worship right, to do right, to get right, and then you go do your reconciliation before God, and you go reconcile to your brokenness, uh, your broken relationship. There's no weight on you to do that. It is a gift. It is like delivering an epic cosmic gospel pizza. God gives it to you, says, here is reconciliation. You take it to your brother over there. I grew up Baptist. I'm going to start jumping and getting excited. This excites me so much because it takes the weight off of you. You do not have to be a perfect, I mean, we have to keep going back. I'm just, I'm stepping on Ben's sermon from last week. Sorry, brother. Stepping back to verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no way that you could be righteously worshipful and righteously reconciled to God and righteously reconciled to your brother. There's no way you can do that. But Jesus does it for us, and it is a gift. And Romans 5.11 says, We 
rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. It is a gift of God. Praise the Lord. God gives us reconciliation through Jesus Christ. We, this changes our hearts. We have been reconciled. It's a posture of heart change. We are no longer contemptuous, angry people saying, well, you were subhuman, you were inferior because I am like this and you were like that. Raka, you fool. But rather, Jesus changes the posture of our hearts to receive reconciliation as a gift. We come to worship and say, I can't even worship you, right? Because I need reconciliation. And Jesus says, here you go. Awesome. He's like, wait, before you worship, you need to go reconcile with your brokenness. Well, I, didn't, I don't have anything against that, brother. It doesn't matter. Scripture says, he has something against you. Go be reconciled. But I don't have anything against anybody. Fine. Somebody has something against you. Go be reconciled. Take the gift of reconciliation with you. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. We often look at part of this passage and say, woohoo, and forget the other part of the passage. So here's the woohoo, and here's the other part. You ready? Together. Woohoo. There it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, huh? Praise the Lord, reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Means your contemptuous heart has been changed to a reconciled heart before God. So exciting. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise the Lord. All of this, all this is from God. It's a gift. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Yes. Praise God. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chill bumps, man. Do you see what all's going on here? I want, you, I want you to look at Matthew 5 and compare it to what Paul is saying here because Jesus is speaking to those saying, hey, you want to be, you want to be righteous? You want to bring your gifts to God, doing what you think you know is being righteous, yet you look down on others who God is also reconciling to himself. And then Paul says, hey, hey, look, reconciliation is a gift that's been given to us, and it's a ministry that we've been given. It's a message that we take as ambassadors. Jesus knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's, it's so exciting. I just want to, I don't know, do something but I hurt my back, so I can't, so I'm just going to preach. Friends, I'll, I'm going to make this statement, and I think it's, I think it's just the truth. So I'm gonna, You cannot be a Christian and ignore the ministry and mission of reconciliation. You can't. You cannot be a Christian and ignore the ministry and mission of reconciliation. You cannot say, well, in Christ, I'm a new creation. And then hate your boss, and hate your coworkers, and hate other Christians, and hate those who maybe have wronged you. Friends, I have been wronged by Christians 
And nowhere in Scripture do I have permission or the blessing of the Lord to just say, well, it's his fault. He messed up. She messed up. It was her bad. No. Scripture says, Jeremy, you, you've been reconciled to God through Christ. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You, you can't worship the Lord, come before the Lord and worship him without, without going to be reconciled with those who maybe have something against you. So what do we do? Because I'm hoping, I'm hoping you're connecting the dots here. I'm hoping you're seeing what Jesus taught in Matthew 5 and how that connects to Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians. But, but I want us to have a tangible takeaway. Because I don't want us to say, well, that was a good sermon. I know a lot now. Thank you. There's, there's got to be feet to this because we can't just, uh, I, I want you know, God's word to draw us closer to the throne of Christ. But like he says here, if you come to worship, he's going to give you the gift, the message, the ministry, the mission of reconciliation to take with you. So here, here's some things I would challenge all of us to do. And I've been, I've been thinking through this hardcore this week, man. I was like, man, that was, a, that was a hard season. Glad I got that. Oh, wait, no, there's more to do. Oh. A couple years ago, I read a good book that I would encourage all of you to read because it, it really, in a tough season of my life, pointed me to Jesus and helped me lean in on Christ a little bit. There's a book called Pursuing Peace, Pursuing Peace by Robert D. Jones. I think he's a professor at a seminary up north, and um, this book was very helpful to me, and I was revisiting it this week, just trying to think, you know, how this applies to this passage, but also just, you know, taking a walk in a long run and being like, Jesus, like, what, is there more work you're doing within me during this season? Because it's easy for us to say, well, I said I was sorry, <laughs> but what, what does reconciliation look like? What does it, what does it mean to have a... Because it's, it's all about our heart, man, because it's really easy for us to, to revert back to the religious self-righteousness to say, well, I did my best. I'm sorry you're offended with me. And then walk away, and then our hearts get puffed up in pride and self-righteousness again. But rather, if we've been made new creations in Christ, we have a posture of heart that is constantly receiving that gift of reconciliation and constantly being given the charge to be an ambassador with the ministry and mission of reconciliation. You never escape that, ever. You, just, you walk in a spirit of humility, receiving the gift of reconciliation through Christ and, and just, you know, walking through your neighborhood is just like this huge aura of peace. Hey, everybody. So I was looking at this book this week, Pursuing Peace by Robert D. Jones, and there's a couple action steps I would encourage you to consider. Our first goal should be to please God, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, you want to please the Lord. I do too. We, we want to please God. You can't, you can't please God by disobeying him. So we should first and foremost want to please God. Secondly, I'd ask you to do this. Repent. Repent of your heart. Maybe your beliefs or motives. If you have, if you were believing that somebody who has something against you is outside of the reach of God's grace, that, that means you are liable to the hell of fire. That's what Scripture says. So repent of your belief or your disbelief of the gospel that God's grace can extend that far. Repent of your motives. If you've ever had a broken relationship, how easy it is for us to like want to punish the person, right? And be like, well, <laughs> I hope things don't get easy for them. If you're at work and some coworker like did something 
nasty, it's really easy for you to want to, I mean, I could tell you a list of cool things. I have such a messed up mind. If you ever want to know some really cool office revenge tricks, just come see me on a bad day and I'll tell you. But on a good day, with the gospel, repent of your beliefs, repent of your motives. Repent of your behavior, both your words and actions, your unkind words that you said, or maybe the truths that you withheld. Repent of your behavior and actions, like the things maybe you did but shouldn't have done, or maybe the things you didn't do and should have done. Repent means to turn from and to turn to Christ, to turn from sin and brokenness and to turn to Christ. Here's the big one. This is the one that constantly needing reminding of. Love others. Have an attitude of grace, an ongoing attitude of grace. Have an ongoing attitude of forgiveness. It has to be ongoing. You can't say, I forgive you, and the next day be like, holy smokes, today's tough. An ongoing attitude of grace, an ongoing attitude of forgiveness. You have to be careful how to word this, because you have to kind of read the whole book to get this, but there has to be a point of gracious confrontation. Gracious confrontation. What I mean by that is this. If you have something against somebody, you need to deal with that. If somebody has something against you, you are helping that brother or sister in Christ by going to them and confronting them on the issue. Are are you with me? It doesn't mean to say, hey, you have something against me. You need to get it straight, buddy. No, it means going to them with an attitude of grace, an attitude of forgiveness, and confronting the situation and saying, hey, look, I think there's something, I think you have something against me and I just, I want to have a posture of grace, a posture of humility and just say, can we, can we work this out? I mean, is there a way that we can, we can come to Christ together? Is there a way that we can do this? I would like to, and sometimes it helps the brother or sister in Christ for you to take that first step, especially if you were the recipient of the hurt. I think that's why Jesus instructs that here. Because as the recipient of her hurt, it would be really easy to say, well, that dude hurt me, so if he wants to apologize, he knows where to find me. But if you're the recipient of hurt and you can go to the person and say, look, there's just something not good between us, I'd really like to, to sit down and figure out what it is. Now, you may not ever come to an agreement on an issue. That, that has been uh, my experience in a few different relationships that you just, you can't, you just can't come to terms. And that's It's okay. There's a point where you say, look, we, just, we honestly can't come to terms on this, but so far as it is up to me, I want there to be grace and forgiveness, and I want us to lean on Jesus together. And then the last one, so you have an attitude of grace, an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of gracious confrontation where necessary, and then after that, service. Just serve the person, love the person. Even if it's hard, even if it's weird. Now, if somebody's like, dude, get off my lawn already. You're like, no, I'm just going to mow the lawn to the glory of God. I want to serve you, brother. It's like, dude, <laughs> don't, don't get hurt. <laughs> but have an attitude of service. Pray for those who have wronged you. Pray God's blessing on them. And these are things that are hard to do, which is so good. Because if they were easy, we would forget Jesus. <laughs> and so these things are hard. Uh, so I would encourage you to think about these things. Lean in on Jesus. May we lean in on Jesus together. 
as a community of believers. And can you just imagine the impact this would have if we, this small congregation, lived as ambassadors of reconciliation? Could you imagine the impact that 100 people could have on this city? I think it could be astronomical, man. I really do. If we, Because it, it, it's really easy in Christian circles to say, well, we don't get along, so we're going to go to a different church. Dude, I'm a pastor. You, anytime you get together with a group of pastors, each pastor could list out like a dozen cases at least where that's happened. Well, they had an argument, so they just went to a different church. Where's the reconciliation in that? Where's the gospel in that? So I want to encourage you. Could you imagine the impact that... God would have through this congregation if we obediently lived lives as ambassadors of reconciliation. I think it could be, I think it could be pretty rad. Um, that's the end of the sermon. Pretty rad, period. All right. Um, we're going to have a time of response like we do every Sunday, and I would encourage you guys to, um, as the worship team comes back and leads us in musical worship, to uh, sing and, uh, and let God uh, work the gospel into your heart through the music. If you need to sit and pray, uh, if you need to talk with somebody, there will be a couple folks in the back wearing orange, orange lanyards. Uh, there will be God to play, pray with you or pray for you if you want somebody to, to help walk you through what reconciliation looks like. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're like, dude, I want to be reconciled to God. I've been trying hard to live a good life, to be right with God. We want to talk with you about that, about what Jesus has done to give you the gift of reconciliation. If you're a believer, I want us to be obedient as we leave this place and go be reconciled to those maybe who we have brokenness with, to, to see it through as far as we can in, in light of the gospel and to have an ongoing attitude of, of um, grace and forgiveness and, and love and service as we leave this place just to be ambassadors of grace to the world around us. Um, also, before you, you'll see communion. Um, you can take off the bread and dip it in the wine or juice, uh, remembering who Christ is and what he's done for us, tearing off the bread to represent the broken body of Christ, and dipping it in the wine or juice, representing the shed blood of Christ by whom we have forgiveness of sin and have been reconciled to God the Father. So uh, if you are a believer, we invite you to partake in that and, and just come down the aisles here and, and uh, do that. Let me pray. Father God, we